All right, hello and welcome back to another episode of the Long Ball Football Podcast, a weekly podcast by two brothers about all things football in Portugal. You're listening to myself, Albert, and as always, I'm joined by my brother Barney. How you doing, Barney? How's your week been? Um, good man, yeah, I'm, I'm still aching from a uh, Sunday, probably a little <laughs> game of five-a-side. And yes. My, body. my first one in over two years, I reckon. Um, wow. Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't good. It was, <laughs> it was hard, man. It was good fun though, man. It was really nice. I think the first time we've played football together in years and years. So that so that was really good. We had that sibling connection. Sort of. <laughs> Not really. Sort of. We did get uh, my mate Ben in the corner of me team up. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, at one yeah. point that was good. Maybe we should start a long ball football five-a-side tournament or something. Get all the listeners to bring a team down to London. Oh, that'd be lovely actually. I like that. That would be fantastic. Good opportunity to show off the kits. I noticed you were... Uh, Showing off your Moran's kit again. Yeah, yeah, I did. Well, we'll come on to it. But in honor of uh, Rafael Martins scoring at the weekend, I did bring out the uh, Rafael Martins Moran's kit. I don't think I quite had his shooting boots on, but um, but no, it was a good excuse. Good excuse to get that one out. Well, let's not waste any more time. Let's get straight to it because, as always, there's an awful lot to talk about. It's a big cliche, but this really is the business end of the season. So we're going to talk about. The biggest games from the Primera Liga this week, this weekend, including the relegation battle, which is really starting to heat up. Um, but before we get into that, we should just touch on uh, Portuguese clubs in Europe. It, for some reason, Barney, it just feels like it does feel like a really long time ago now. But of course, both Benfica and Braga were in action last week in Europe. Both clubs found themselves knocked out, which means that is the end of Portugal's representation in European competition for this year. I got very different feelings from both games. Um, let's start with Benfica, obviously 3-3 on the night against Liverpool. I was very pleased for them that they gave a good account of themselves on the biggest stage against a big club. It felt like for me, Brian, the sort of result that you kind of expect from this Benfica team at the moment, again, a top against a top side, you know, equally being capable of scoring three goals as conceding three goals. Yeah, I find their, their exploits in Europe this season so interesting because I feel like what we've seen from them specifically in Europe is this a, a big team mentality, I would say. You know, they've stepped up in the in the Champions League and you can see this confidence building in the, in them as as they as they progress through the competition and I also think the fans are part to do with that as well they certainly helped them you know they've been starved of this feeling I feel for a little while now but um they helped them in in this game and, and I think you know we we see all sort Benfica's contenders it's, you know the Benfica are arguably the biggest club in Portugal in terms of prestige and history you know what I mean and I feel like they they've really stepped up and I also think Verismo has a lot to be thanked for this as well because I think in some tough games, the team's mentality was never to give up, right? They kept on going and going. And I think uh, that, that really shone through in, in, in this run. Yeah, fans were absolutely phenomenal. I think there were some great videos going around of Benfica fans in the stadium long after the final was sort of blown, um, singing songs for their team. Fantastic to see the way that the fans travelled to back their team was really impressive. And I agree, you know, it was similar to, to what Jamie was saying last week, you know, there's no shame in, in going out of the Champions League to Liverpool. And I think just the the nature of the way they they did it, the, that they did score some good goals. They did put Liverpool under pressure. They showed that they weren't just a walkover team. You know, four goals over two legs against Liverpool is is fantastic. It's a fantastic result. So, yeah, I think plenty plenty for Benfica to be positive about in terms of their Champions League run. When it comes to Braga and Obani, obviously they lost 3-1 on the night. A 3-2 aggregate loss. I can't I can't lie to you, Bonnie. I was absolutely gutted by this one. I don't know whether I was 
too foolish to believe that they could go through. But I genuinely thought that they could win this. I thought that they would that they would see the game out. I knew it would be tough. We knew that this second leg was going to be so difficult in Glasgow, that incredible fan base that Rangers have creating that you know, really difficult atmosphere in the stadium, but I just thought they would have enough to go through. The the issue I had, Barney, was not only did they lose, but they were they were absolutely battered. I thought, you know, that I, it wasn't even close in the end. No, I think Rangers ended up getting a record for the highest amount of um, XG in a knockout stage of a European competition. I think it was like five point two or something like that. So ridiculously high. And yeah, they were dominated by them. Like you, I was absolutely gutted. I, I just I just want them to go further so bad because I feel like they always get to a stage like this and it's just that they need to go that extra step. I mean, ultimately they should have scored more at home, right? I think that's what, what let them down. But then this is the other thing I hate about um away goal rule being scrapped because you know Rangers got an extra 30 minutes with their home fans behind them, if you see what I mean, with the game going to extra time. And that doesn't seem quite fair to me because, like you mentioned, the atmosphere there was brilliant. They were very much a, a 12th man almost, the, the Rangers fans. They were fantastic. So, you know, that, that's that's my only gripe with this game. I think the second leg, they just completely capitulated. Rangers did deserve to go through in that sense. But, I, you know, there's a way goal rule, Mal, but I'm never going to let it go. I, I want it back. But when it benefits Portuguese clubs, then we definitely want it reinstated. But no, I 100% agree, man. I said after that first leg, that taking only a 1-0 lead into the second leg would be so tough. They they dominated that first game so much. I mean, even just a 2-0 lead from that game, which would have been very possible, would have made things so so different and and just a bit easier for for Braga. I wanted to quickly mention the coefficient because that's all about all but wrapped up for this season now with uh, the Portuguese clubs coming out of it. But um, so currently Portugal are finishing sixth, which is um, below France, right? Who we were hoping uh, to potentially close the gap on. And for those who don't know, sorry, UEFA take a, a score based on the last five seasons for a country's club teams in Europe and to determine the rankings of for those countries and how many Euro place, European places they get. Now, last season, we were delighted because Portuguese clubs outperformed French clubs in European competitions with Portugal getting 9.6 coefficient points compared to France's 7.9. So we were hoping to sort of kick on this season, but with the introduction of the conference leave and, and, and with both Passos and Santa Clara failing to qualify for that, the French clubs have drastically outperformed Portugal and there, so the French clubs have brought in 17.75 coefficient points this season compared to Portugal's 12.75. So, you know, it, it's a, a slightly different state from last season where I thought I felt like Portugal's potentially closing that gap in France, but they look like they, they've got it around. You know what? If I'm being totally honest with you, Barney, I, I don't think I mind so much about closing the gap in France. The thing I was worried about was the Netherlands closing the gap in Portugal. So, you know, as long as that doesn't seem to be happening, I know that the Conference League really benefited both France and the Netherlands, whereas Portugal really, really failed to make the most of that. So, you know, that was the one thing I was worried about. As long as Portugal is safe and sick, that's that's what really matters. And I think, you know, Portuguese clubs in the last, even just the last two years, I think have had really good success in, in Europe. Something to be proud of. But I think if you want to be really ambitious, you have to say that the Conference League is a competition that um, Portuguese clubs need to aim to do better in just because there's valuable coefficient points that are um, able to be picked up there that we're not picking up at the moment and clubs like France and and, and countries like Netherlands are, are picking those up at our expense, I think. 
I think that's something we've certainly got to look into Albert, at the end of the season. And because I think that could be a really interesting element to Portugal and Europe is this conference, this competition and how they can improve those clubs to do better. Because I think as we've seen, you know, and as you've just mentioned, there's a, there's a lot of points to be got from that competition. And at the moment, I would say that the clubs getting into it from Portugal are going to be way off the mark for, for doing, doing well. Well, as we say, that is the end of Portugal's involvement in Europe for another season. We enjoyed it while it lasted. And I think it was definitely uh, some great successes to be proud of, but Let's turn our attention now to where the action remains, the Portuguese Primeira Liga. And there's only one game that we're going to start off with this week. The biggest game from last weekend, a Sunday Easter Lisbon derby between Sporting and Benfica. And do you know what, Barney? For me, I had a slightly strange feeling going into this derby because for the first time in a long time, it felt like a Lisbon derby where there wasn't really much at stake. Now, obviously, Sporting were kind of still trying to win every game with that slim hope that Porto would drop points. But ultimately, I think this is two teams whose, whose seasons are more, more or less over, if we're being honest. You know, That said, any Lisbon derby, you expect a good match. So I was definitely looking forward to it. But one thing I did not predict at all was the outcome. I got this one dead wrong. I really saw Sporting going on to win this one. Of course, what happened in the end was a very poor performance from Sporting and they deserved a 2-0 win for Benfica. Something I, and I think many others, didn't see coming. But I believe you had a different feeling before the game. Yeah, actually, it's interesting. I, I sort of have a, a different view for everything you've completely just said there about this game. Because <laughs> well, I, I thought Benfica were going to get something out of this, right? And I think because, of, like I mentioned earlier, they're high in confidence, you know, they... With, with the Champions League and what they're doing. They've, they're in a good moment and they also just love to spoil things, right? Like they did last season and, and when they spoil um, Sporting's unbeaten run. And so this was all for me was always going to be a very, very tough game for Sporting. And I think you mentioned there about the teams perhaps not having anything to play for. I actually felt that I saw a lot of pressure from Amarin's team in this game on their shoulders. And I think... And I think that also came through in his team selection, right? And Because uh, I wanted to look back at that 4-3 loss to Benfica last season, which did ruin their unbeaten run. And in that game, Amarin had gone with Brancanza and Nunes, uh, Mateus Nunes in midfield, who both at the time had been playing understudies to Palini and Jao Mario that season. So it was a, a bit of a gamble, if you will. And if you look at this game, I think Ugarte would have been the better choice than Palina. I think Edwards would have been the better choice than Pote, but I think Amarin felt he had to play his strongest team this time around. Perhaps he had last year in the back of his mind, you know. And I think that affected them because I think they the front three had so many chances, you know, Pedro Gonzalez, Sarabia, Paulinho. But, I, you know, what was evident was, and has been for a little while, is that Pote is nowhere near the goal-scoring form he was last season and they needed perhaps something different in there. Well, I think what, what the game really showed is that Unfortunately, if just one or two of Sporting's best players aren't on top form, then they can really, really struggle to make chances. Specifically in this game, I'm thinking of players like Sarabia, Mateus Nunes. You know, I think they were a great example of that. Two usually reliable players that were very much off their game. And suddenly you find yourself with an attacking free of Pedro Gonçalves, Paulinho, and an out-of-form Sarabia that look very, very ineffective. They also had that midfield of Paulinho and Nunes neither of whom have been in, in particularly good form recently. They didn't offer anything creative at all. You mentioned Ugarte being better to start. 
once again, Barney, he came off the bench and looked like a, a big improvement on, on what was starting in that midfield. I think it's something that we'll probably talk about more in depth at the end of the season. But it has really got me thinking about about sporting squad and the fact that, in a strange way, despite all the fact that all of their best players from last season are still there, Nuno Mendes being the one exception, plus the addition of Sarabia at front, despite that, it doesn't really look like an improved squad to me. And I think that that's something that they're going to have to work really hard to rectify over the summer. It is also quite easy for us to perhaps be a little harsh on sporting, just simply because you know we wanted a, a closer title race than what we've had but because uh, Sporting in this game had 16 shots compared to Benfica's 10 right and it's the first time Sporting haven't scored this season you know, the last time they didn't score in a league game was February last year against Porto and the last time they failed to score at home was July 2020 wow. that's a great achievement and but what we saw I think just just things weren't quite right were they I think the final pass was like say a fraction over hit or short and it, and the front three just couldn't connect properly and get and get a clean shot away. And that is partly due to how well I thought Benfica's backline defended as a unit. And because they did very well to close the passing lines, not allow spaces in between for Srabi and Pote to find the right line of pass because, you know, they did get balls through, but they weren't the perfect balls, if you see what I mean. There was always something too hard for the, the strikers to do with. So, yeah, it was a disappointing game for Sporting, but also a great game for Benfica because... And I wanted to talk about Darwin because I thought you and Jamie had a, a brilliant chat about him last week. And I, I, the thing I thought about his first goal was of what we is what we've seen of Darwin's development. And because I don't think he would never have scored that goal last season, right? And interesting. He he came to Benfica a decent goal scorer in Spain's second division, but he really took his time to get any sort of consistency. And in that first goal, you know, he was up against Neto, then Quates in that move. He outpaces Neto, goes shoulder to shoulder with Quates, holds his own, then does a smart finish over the top of Adnan. He'll take these players on now, he believes. And I don't think we would have seen that from him last season. I think that's a really interesting point. I, I have to say, the only caveat I'd add to that is I I thought the defending was quite poor for that goal. I think Neto and, and Quates can do better. You say Nunes beats Quates there, but I think Quates is way too easily beaten for me. I think nine times out of ten, Quates will win that ball. But that said, no, I agree. Another good goal and another good example of Darwin's all-round game that he's starting to develop. And and I agree with your earlier point as well, that I think this was a good overall performance for Benfica. It was a very professional performance. I think they really played out their game plan very effectively. I think they knew that Sporting would struggle to break them down if they kind of sat deep and defended well, which they did. And I believe both their goals came from, from counter-attacks. And so they really knew how they could punish Sporting's defence. It's not something I thought I would be saying, honestly, but credit where it's due, because I think Verissimo outmanaged Amarim in this game. Uh, and I think you have to say it was nothing but a deserved victory. Yeah, and the thing I think that I, that's really impressing me recently, Albert, is Verissimo's work with Benfica's back line. Because I think that back four is Gilberto, who's, I think, come on leaps and bounds since Verissimo has become manager, certainly drastically improved as a player, far more consistent Um but him, along with Saida Spendi, Vertonghen and Grimaldo, I just think are working so, so well. And, and of course, would be, you know, particularly those two figures in the middle, Ottomendi and Vertonghen, like they're, they're also very key to their success in Europe, you know, having that experience. And I think we're starting to see 
um, a, a real solid back to uh, Benfica. I think we've said it so many times, but with Nicolas Otamendi, he's a player that started off so shambolically and we wrote off so quickly, but the way that he's transformed himself into a really good defender in this league is very impressive. For Tongan also, I think we had our doubts about um, his limitations as an older player, um, but of course playing in, in the Portuguese league, uh, you're not always going to be tested for pace every week. So he's managed to hold his own. But yeah, I agree. I think the only question mark in that in that back four will be uh, the right back. Gilberto obviously done very well, but I still think perhaps the jury is slightly out on him as to whether the new manager will come in and make him the first choice right back. But I think towards this latter half of the season, he's given him a good account of himself and put himself in a good position. Whenever a team wins a game, Barney, the last thing you want to do is focus on the weaknesses of the opposition too much rather than the winner's achievements. But the last word for me, I think, has to go uh, to Sporting because that was the one outstanding thing that I took from this game was just how poor Sporting were because they were miles and miles off their best. best. And on paper, despite Matthias Rees being unavailable, they were at full strength. You know, this was a full strength side, but they never, ever looked like threatening Benfica's goal. I think they were beaten far too easily, uh, as I mentioned, for both Benfica's goals. And for me, it was comfortably Sporting's worst performance of the season so far in any competition, including the Champions League, where they lost 5-0 to Man City. Well, look, let's talk about the other game involving one of the big three, Barney. One of the most remarkable scorelines of the season so far, Porto 7, Porto Menens 0. Now, given the the form that Porto Menens are on, I think we all saw this loss coming, but the scoreline was definitely something of a surprise. I think we have to dive in straight into the obvious area of contention here, Barney, which was the fact that Porto Menens made five changes to their starting 11. They took out five players who have been regular starters this season and put in five players with comparatively low minutes played, essentially resting key players. Now, obviously, this is a tactic that we're familiar with when it comes to playing smaller teams in cup games or perhaps against lower league opposition, but not in games where you're going away to the best team in the league when you're already fighting to stay in the Premier League. And now, I do want to quickly get your take on this one because it was widely assumed and then later confirmed by manager Paolo Sergio that this step was taken to avoid all of those five players being suspended for that next game against Morarens. And it is true that all five players were on four yellow cards and at risk of suspension. So with that said, do you think this this was the right decision or a justifiable decision? Yeah, I think it was. You know, I think this is the, the reality of this league, isn't it? I, I wanted to read out uh, a sort of quote from the Portimonense's president and sort of, mm. uh, yeah, I'll just read out. It's obviously, this is translated, but... He said, the caravan passes and the dog barks. Brazil <laughs> lost 7-1 with Germany in the World Cup. FC Porto lost 5-1 at the drug out in the Champions League. And we beat the almighty Benfica and Luz, who today came to criticise too. The same one that won 10-0 at National and 7-0 to Ben and then said, we have lived in football for years and we know that criticism and disease are the sour, envious and cowardly. I thought that was <laughs> a, a beautiful... Beautiful yeah. quote. One, because, you know, he's comparing Portimans to Brazil. <laughs> but two, you know, like I mentioned, I feel like this is a, they have to do it and because you're you're never likely to win against a big free club. And if you are looking to the next game, which is a really important game for them, he had to make the chances. And I know a few, 
you know, there were a few changes and a lot of people getting a bit hung up about the keeper, um, Payam Nizand, who hasn't played a single minute this season. But this guy's got 24 clean sheets in 30 games last season in the Persian Golf League. You know, he he's played for the Iranian national team. It's, it's It wasn't that drastic a change. And I think the reality is Paolo Sergio was right to make this decision to protect his team and make sure they're ready for that Morrowinds game. But I also think it's a little damning that, as the president said, this is the same Portman's team that beat the almighty Benfica early in the season, you know, which sort of shows that, that it is a possibility. But yeah, I, I think at the end of the day, yeah, right decision from Paolo Sergio. Yeah, I think personally, I, I get it. And I do buy that it, it was all done with honest intentions. I think, to be fair, it's a very honest assessment of the situation by the management team to say that, you know, look, even with a full strength squad, we're likely to lose this game. So, you know, it may as well rest these players so that they've got everyone available for that game against Morrowinds, where if they win, it will all but confirm their survival. Obviously, I understand that it's not a strategy without controversy. And for me, I think it can easily be looked at by rival clubs as Porto Menens just rolling over to let Porto win. I get that. You know, that's that's definitely something that's far from fair. I think what it also does, Barney, is, is say to those fringe players that the manager brought in, you know, barely he's barely given them any minutes this season and he throws them into this game to essentially be like lambs to the slaughter. You know, if I was one of those players, I would be pretty shot of confidence by that decision. I probably would have lost any belief uh, that that manager has any faith in me, you know. And lastly, for me, Barney, the most important thing to say about this decision by Paolo Sergio. I think it puts so much pressure on this upcoming Morrowinds game because if they win, fine, it all works out. But if they lose, you know, given the unwanted negative attention that this decision has brought onto the club, given the awful form that they've been in, you know, in the second half of the season, which has seen them drop from European football challenges to quite literally one of the worst clubs in the league. On current form, they are the worst club in the league. You know, if they lose this game against Morrowinds after all that, for me, I think that goes down as a sackable offence. I agree with you about the amount of pressure it does put on the next game, but I also think we've got to, we really have to remember the size of club that Portsmouth are, right? And what we saw in the first half of the season was their strongest 11, all playing, every single player playing, you know, at their at their peak, I would say. Mm. And all it takes is a couple of players to move on in the January transfer window, a couple of other players um, form to to drop. And you realise that Portsmouth have such a small squad with, they are a small team. And like I was saying earlier, I feel like it's always, because we've had the same discussions in England before when teams come the end of the season, have rested players for important cup games or important relegation games. And it's, I feel like it's always coming from the point of view of the bigger team. Right, that 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 why are they doing this? Is is it going to affect our chances if you know with a, another bigger team benefiting? This is the reality of this league. You know, the big three are miles, miles, and miles ahead, and it's very, very, very rare that you can have an opportunity to get points against them. That Portsmouth team at the beginning of the season did have an opportunity because they were in the right moment, but Paulo Sergio realised that this team isn't in the right moment and and just made the decision you want to do. I think we might disagree on this out. Yeah, no, I think I think that's I think that's a good point. I think you you're quite right to say that the big teams often look at everything from their perspective, but the small teams are, yeah, obviously fine for their for their own livelihoods as well. I wanted to talk about 
a couple of players out. And the first one was Grugic, right? Because he's mm. been... I just think he's been fun, such a fantastic signing for Porto because he, was, he wasn't he was signed as someone to play first-team football, I believe. He was signed to be backup. And out of all the backup players that I'd say the big three have, he is the best because every time he plays, he delivers. He definitely has conscious house trust. We've seen that with him when he's been using the Champions League and other important games. And I think what we saw from him in this game was a bit more of his attacking side, right? And, and the threat he is in the box. I think of him normally as someone who can break up play and get the ball quickly to another player. But there's a bit more to him and he's he's a really smart player. And, you know, Uribe is 31 now and obviously injured at the moment, hence why Grujic played this game. But Grujic's just 26 years old. So I, I feel like he could be a feature in the midfield for seasons to come. I think it's an interesting one, the case of Grujic, because I, I'm quite surprised that he hasn't featured more as a starter than he has because... He wasn't cheap at all, you know. Initially, he was on loan from Liverpool and then Porto kind of forked out the money, you know, that Premier League transfer free and wages to get this guy into the club. So I'm surprised we haven't seen more of him as a starter uh, than we have already. But I totally agree. I think he's been a very, very dependable player. And you quite rightly point out Uribe's age. If they were to look for someone to come in and replace him, they've got Gruic there ready to go. Um, and I'm just surprised he hasn't had as many minutes as as perhaps we expected to. Um, if we're identifying key players from this, game, from this game, Barney, the one player that we absolutely have to highlight, of course, is Mehdi Taremi. Now, the reason I wanted to bring up Taremi was because in the week we saw this very shocking incident where an article from a Portuguese newspaper was, was republished on Sporting's official website with some pretty pathetic, racist, xenophobic stuff about Taremi being a snake charmer, saying how Persian players are always ready to go for the circus tricks in kind of uh, in reference to Taremi's perceived diving antics. Now, I love Taremi in this game because I think he really silenced those critics. He scored a great hat-trick and he celebrated with his finger to his lips. And I swear, Barney, if you watch the replay, he's even making a hissing sound at the camera when he celebrates. I absolutely love that from him. What a way to respond to what happened in the week than with three great goals and a great celebration to shut up his critics. You know, there's a few players you could pick out from Porto, honestly, but I think he absolutely deserves his plaudits this week. I've, I love the celebration, man. I think it's so good just straight down the camera. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's the thing with Taremi, like he doesn't have to say anything. You know, this guy has absolutely delivered all season. He's done it on the pitch. So that's all that matters. And Porto are where they are. Thanks to him. I also had, I wanted to shout out Pepe at right back um, who, was I thought I had a very good game for that position. And I know it, this wasn't the hardest games for him, but the thing for me is that he was willing to play in that position and worked hard as well. And maybe this is a little unfair because Everton has been very good recently. But if we were to compare the two players and how they've adapted since they've arrived from Brazil, I would say Pepe is certainly settling better. Perhaps that's helped by the fact that Conchal was easing him in, whereas Everton was thrown sort of straight in and asked, a lot was asked for him early on. But yeah, I think this is a, a great sign that he would do that job at, at right back. And I think, um, you know, do that part for the team. Well, similarly to Bruno Costa Barney, I'm sure he doesn't want to end up there, but I totally agree with that assessment that it does show great uh, great character for him to take on, take on that role um, with both hands. I think, Barney, this weekend, we can finally put the title chat to bed. I think Porto are now 
champions elect and we're really only waiting for it to become mathematically possible now given the upcoming fixtures it looks like that that could happen against Vizela on the 30th of April if Sporting as we expect uh, win next weekend personally I've thought the race has been over ever since Sporting drew at Maritimo at the end of February but I think now we can really draw a line under it and say that it's done I think what's interesting is that they have 82 points and they're seeking to become the first Liga club to reach 90 with the, the four matches left. So mm. that, that's very much achievable. And they have already achieved 80 plus points and that's for five straight years now, which is also a record. The 79 goals they've scored is the best in the Liga um, and their club best after 30 matches since 1978. You know, they're just breaking all these records. And I saw another statistic, which I think tells a bit of the story of their season. The fact that the partnership of Evan Nilsson and Taremi who have both scored 20 and 22 goals. That accounts for 39% of Portugal's this season. And I think that's interesting because it shows their goals throughout the team. Yes, Evan Nelson's been brilliant. Yes, Teremi's been brilliant. But if you compare that to Sporting and Benfica, you know, well, I wouldn't say there's goals throughout that whole team. You know, Absolutely, I yeah. think that's, that's a, a really interesting statistic. Yeah, again, this is another thing that coming into the season will go very in-depth on Porto's season as a whole and successes there. But it's just still worth reiterating every week. And I believe it's now 58 games unbeaten in a row. That number keeps going up and we expect it to keep rising uh, to the end of this season. So just fantastic, fantastic achievements from Sergio Conte's men uh, this season. All right, Barney, let's dive straight into where we know all the action is, the Premier League relegation battle. And for, I believe, the third week in a row, we're going to start this part of the show with Morarens. Now, last week, myself and Jamie really highlighted this game between Morarens and Tondela as the game to watch for the weekend. A massive relegation six-pointer between the two teams in 16th and 17th place. Only two points separated them before this game and a win would have been massive for either side. Now, it was Morarens who came away victorious 2-0 and I make no apologies for being absolutely overexcited by just how perfect this game was after recommending it. Not only did my hero, Rafael Martin, score, but Red alert, Barney, ring the alarm because Kevin Morales has scored his first goal for Morens. And I think whatever happens now for the rest of the season, I can end this season a happy man. He was fantastic in this game. This is his work and the way he um he stood out in this game. You know, he was he was a, a real classy operator. But Albert, my favorite player in this game was uh, actually Derek uh, Lasardia, who came on for the injured Jan in the in the 12 minutes. He wasn't even starting, but he was an instant threat. You know, he caused so many problems on that left-hand side. And do you remember he scored a, a bicycle kick against B-Sad a, a little while ago? I do remember uh, that, yes. That's, that's when he caught my attention. And um, <laughs> he just looks like such a really dangerous player. You know, his, his, his work basically created the first goal for Rafael Martins, didn't it? And then the magic for the, the Morales assist, where he just sort of got to the byline after a beautiful bit of skill. I think it's really worth keeping an eye on this guy, man. He's only 22 years old. He looks like a, a really exciting young player. 
I'm so glad you picked him out because he's been my key man from Marens the last two weeks. Uh, last week as well, he did exactly the same thing as this week where he created two goals. This week, he didn't get credited for two assists, but he was the man that created both goals. The first goal that Rafael Martins tapping comes about because of him getting his shot off. And of course, the second goal uh, is a wonderful assist. I don't know what he has to do to get a start, Barney, honestly, because the guy is in such good form, only 22 years old as well. Really one to keep an eye on. Interestingly, Zach Lowy this week was talking about him as a potential Sandrolino replacement should he move on in the summer. So uh, so definitely, definitely one to keep an eye on. Fantastic result for Morens. Exactly what they need. Puts them above Tondela into 16th place. That's the relegation playoff. Um, Obviously, Barney, this was a very disappointing result for Tondela. They've got a big task to Portugal semi-final coming up against Mafra. But after that, they've got four really tough Premier League fixtures remaining. Vitoria, Passos, Gil Vicente and Boa Vista. Now you compare that to Morarens, you've got Porto Menense, Boa Vista, Estoril and Vizela. I would say that that run-in is easier than Tondela's. Yeah, this, this game could well come back to bite Tondela. I think it's going to be tough for them. I think they will have a, a massive eye on the, the cup game, obviously, and they're expecting to get through uh, to the final in that one. But, he, you know, maybe that's a distraction, man. They really need to be focusing on the league because, like you mentioned, that running is going to be tough. We've seen it in, in England as well, you know, years where teams like Wigan have done well to get to the final of the FA Cup and then got relegated in the same season. So as much as I don't think it has been a, a distraction, it is a strange anomaly that they find themselves so far in one competition and and, and so... Uh, so far back in another. I do think this result is going to be a lot more damaging than people realise with that run-in. Um, I do rate Nuno Campos as a manager and I'm, I'm sure he can get that team going, but they're going to need to find some points from somewhere because they're they're definitely in danger of being cut adrift. But I know Sarpinto has been under fire a lot fairly recently. You know, obviously he had two, uh, a couple of good results in this game included, but I do think he deserves some credit for the players he was he was able to get in the general transfer and you know looking at Jefferson and Kevin Morales who have both been excellent additions, but a player he's brought through who hadn't been used by any Morales manager really uh, previously was Godfrey Frimpong, the young left back who they signed from Benfica's B team in the summer. You know he started their last two games and they've won their last two games and because he's he's really sound defensively, but. Like his predecessor, Abdu Conte, he looks like a real threat moving forward. And now perhaps he's actually shown me a bit more, oh, clinicality, is that a word? <laughs> clinicality? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? But he's shown me a bit more of that in the final third with his passing, maybe. Um, so, you know, that's a, that's a player that Sarpinto's brought through. And, and finally, another one, Giancarlo Franco, who looked absolutely excellent in this game. And Everybody knows I've probably talked about the lack of technical ability in Morris's midfield, mm. but it looks like Goncalo Franco could be that answer. And what Sarpinto's done has been playing him in a number 10 role, giving him a bit more license to get forward. And this is the, only the second time he's played a full 90. And I just feel like the difference it gave to Morris's midfield was, it was so obvious to see with him playing in the number 10. I think the one thing that Sarpinto will give you is he will get the best out of the squad that he has. I've said it before, he's not a great tactical innovator, um, but he's a great man manager. He's a great motivator. Um, and I think you're right to point out the fact that he has found the players that he knows will perform most for him. It's all about loyalty. It's all about trust. It's all about 
you know, making people feel important. And I think he does that really well. You look at someone like that player we picked up before, Derek Lecour, that that's a player that, you know, Sarpinto, you know, even when he doesn't start him, he knows that he can bring him on and make him feel like he's the player that's going to make the difference. And he goes on and does it. It has taken us some time, though. But, and, you know, we are seeing it come together a bit now, I feel. But I, I just hope that that it didn't take him too long to get to get to where they are now and it's not going to come bite them in the arse come the end of the season you could say it's coming at exactly the right time well look, let's talk about another team in the relegation zone and one team that refuse to roll over and be relegated is BSAD who after months of being completely useless have just about decided to start winning games they won 1-0 against Brazilla at the weekend and I swear to God Barney these guys do not know when to quit. <laughs> Albert, I'm, I'm just getting a little excited. <laughs> not about B said, but about Franklin Carvalho, the manager, because I think what he's done, we touched on it two weeks ago, is absolutely phenomenal. The defence for me in this game, I know they, they got the goal, but the defence in this game was once again absolutely immense, right? And Vizella were, they came into the game the stronger team. They were the stronger team. They created some really good chances, but a couple of players... You know, I shouted out a few weeks ago, once again, putting in some big performances. Luis Philippe, the goalkeeper, with a few big, big saves. Save of the week, according to League of Portugal, Barney. Yeah, yeah, that was it was unreal. And then the other one for me, the centre-back, Danny Henriquez. There was two last-ditch tackles that he made mm. in this game, which which stopped really good chances. You know, this, his stats, you know, three interceptions, three clearances as well, were really decent. And I think, I don't know if I mentioned this before, but... It, it's an interesting story, you know. He grew up to he grew up in Holland, so actually came through Excelsior Rotterdam's academy before moving to, back to Portugal a few years ago because his parents are Portuguese. So, just an outstanding player for me, and someone who's just come through since the departure of Thomas Ribeiro and uh, and filled in a, filled in there and, and and really delivered. I couldn't agree more with that, Barney. It pains me to do it, but you have to give Bisad credit for the way that they've been playing, and you're absolutely right to give credit to the new manager who's really managed to turn this team around and. Like you say, the thing that I like is that he's done it with the players that he's got. In a way, similar to what we just said about Sarpinto, he's done it with the players that he's got available and he's got the best out of them and found the players that he knows he can rely on. I like the fact that it's the unsung heroes of this team that are doing well and not the kind of silly signings that they brought in, like the Sandros, you know, players like that. It's the players that, the unsung heroes that are really starting to do well. I want to talk about the goal, Barney, because it was a really, really phenomenal goal and it was the pass from Afonso Souza, which was absolutely beautiful, inch perfect, perfectly weighted pass. I have to say, if Vitinha made that pass for Porto, Barney, to be fair, we would all be raving about it on Twitter. Jamie Farr mentioned it last week. I know we've both said it before. Afonso Souza is a special player in that team. He's definitely a diamond in the rough at B-side. Yeah, he certainly is. And he just completely stood out in this in this game. And the way he linked up with Beret, the goal scorer, not just in the in the goal, but in several moments in this game was 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 so good. And I wanted to shout out Beret Albert, the, the goal scorer, because he was at Gil Vicente last season, but he's actually been without a club before Bees had signed him in February. And, you know, he was a just such a threat. And he's he's a decent player. He's got some pedigree, you know, he's he had a good um I had some time in uh, Italy where he played quite well and <laughs> it's, it's, it's a smart signing from B-side, you know, getting him out of the three and, and, and getting a decent player. It's obviously taking him some time to get into the team, but um, 
Carvalho's uh, got him in and, and reaping the rewards. Albert, I heard that the B-side president's looking to get a new stadium as well. You know, I, <laughs> I saw that you can get their kits for like 30 kid on, quid on a cult kits or something like that. You know, this maybe it's now now's the time to get on board. You know, <laughs> they're going places. I'm trying not to throw up in my mouth at the idea of these <laughs> going places. No, but look, in all, in all seriousness, they, they have done well recently. The form's improved, as you have pointed out a couple of times, Barney, on this show, to be fair. The defensive form has, has greatly improved. That said, they are still bottom of the Premier League, but they are only three points off 15th place. They're only one point behind Sondela and two points behind Morarens. So they are well and truly still in this relegation battle. We've said it time and time again on this podcast. Titles, The title's wrapped up for the season. The European spots are more or less wrapped up for the season. But this relegation battle with four games left could really, really go down to the wire. Well, look, let's finish today's episode, Barney, with two games that both ended 4-0. The, the first being Vitoria versus Pastor Ferreira. Now, this was my Game of the Week recommendation last week. And to anyone who did tune in because of my recommendation, I am very relieved that the four goals made it worth watching. But this game was exciting for completely different reasons than what I predicted. I thought that this was going to be a really tight game between two even teams. I was even slightly leaning towards Passos as a team on the up who could come in and cause an upset and really put pressure on Vittoria in sixth place. That said, full credit, therefore, has to go to Vittoria for not only winning the game 4-0, but managing the game in such a professional manner and never looking in too much danger. I thought this was a really interesting game plan from Pepper. You know, Vittoria had 18 shots compared to Passos' seven, but Vittoria only had 37% possession compared to Passos' 63. What they did so well, Albert, was... When they got the ball, they got forward with speed, whether that was um, running or, or rapid short passes or direct long balls, you know, and sometimes they didn't come off, but the the speed that they played with was um, phenomenal, I thought. The, and we just saw players step up in this game, didn't we? Bruno Durate leading the line, filling in for suspended stupid, and, you know, he won that first penalty. What a beautiful header for his, for his first goal, and... Ruben Ramirez as well, I thought was absolutely brilliant. It's so good on the ball, had a couple of really decent shots and deserved the goal and was obviously given that third penalty at the end, which he, he took really well. So I just thought, yeah, uh, players surprised me in this game. Uh, you know, players that we haven't seen um, at this level uh, yet, I think, for Vittoria. Bruno Duarte, Barney, I also wrote him down as player to watch my man of the match. And for me, his best game in a Vittoria shirt, I think, He's never really convinced me as a Vittoria player before, but I thought in this game, we saw him playing to his strengths, which is what I liked. He was a physical presence in that Passos box. You know, that's how he won the penalty. You know, that's how he scored that great header that you mentioned. It wasn't incredible football. You know, he's never going to be the world's best technical forward, but it was just good, solid centre-forward play from Duarte. I feel like oh, we should talk about a few of the penalties, Albert, because I just feel like Passos <laughs> the Freire's arms let them down in this game, didn't they? Perhaps. <laughs> Luis Carlos's left arm in particular, uh, catching Thiago Silva for his first year and then um, just being in the wrong place for Viteria's second penalty. It's it's weird Albert, to, to have like two almost identical handball penalty incidents when you're in, you know, and you're asking if it's in an unnatural position, blah, blah, blah. To be honest, I think they're all penalties, right? I'm not sure. 100% on the handball rules anymore, but you can absolutely see why they're 
they were all given um just weird that there was a two of the was it identical balls hitting the hand in the box and i can totally sympathize with fans being aggrieved but i'm with you i think it was two correct decisions two penalties it's it's never nice to see two penalties given in a game because it does just kind of kill kill the match for the opposing team but that said i don't think passos really offered anything going forward other than perhaps the first 10 15 minutes or so they they looked okay but but other than that, I thought Victoria held on really well. Very professional performance. We haven't talked much about Passos this season, Barney, but we should be fair to them. Since Cesar Pachotto has come in, I think he's really steadied the ship there, slowly built up some good form. Uh, they're now sitting in eighth place. They're on equal points with Maritimo. I think they'll definitely have their sights set on a top seven finish. Um, this game was is a game to forget. It wasn't the result that they wanted. But in general, I think this last couple of months under Cesar Pichotto has, has been positive for them. Well, they were only three points off uh, Vittoria before this game, weren't they? So if yeah. a, a win for them would have put them on equal points. That shows, you know, not only is he studied the ship, in my opinion, he's he's he's, he's got them uh, sailing in the right direction. <laughs> you know, they, they, they've, they've vastly improved. And yeah, like you said, all credit to Vittoria for nullifying them so well and keeping the keeping them out the defence was so solid I don't think Passos had a single shot on target and I especially want to praise um, Maga the young right back who's been brought in into this team and has excelled in my opinion I think Pepper seems to like to defend by being on the front foot if you see what I mean you know, pushing the opposition's wingers back and and that's what Maga does you know well I think he you know it was there was times where he was basically parallel with Lemire as he was so far up and he also put quite a lot of dangerous balls in made a few key passes and let's not forget part of the deal for Marcus Edwards going to sporting was Bruno Gasper um, coming over um, a player who's played 93 times for Vittorio in the past and he hasn't been able to get a single minute ahead of Maga so far so I think that just shows the quality of uh, performances that uh, that Maga's putting in. Yeah, another good young player coming through the Vittoria ranks. I think that's good to see and it's what they should be getting back to. We've spoken before about Vittoria maybe struggling with recruitment, struggling to get players to settle in. But those young players that that know the club, know the way the manager wants to play, they're going to be so vital for Vittoria going forward. Well, look, finally, Barney, let's touch on Maritimo versus Boa Vista, a game that ended 4-0 to Maritimo. It feels like a long time since we talked about a Maritimo win. You know, they had such a golden period in the middle of the season uh, when Seabra came in. They've since dropped off a bit, but this is a welcome return to the type of form we'd hope to see from them. We said, didn't we, Albert, they needed to score. They needed some more goals in that team. You know, they they just starting to to dry up in front of goal. And, and who delivers but Joel Jagu? And I remember it was this time last season that he started to come into his own. You know, he started outshining Rodrigo Pino, who obviously got his move to Benfica. And Jotogu was a big reason that Marito stayed up. He got scored some really important goals around this end of the season. But I was gutted for him. You know, he got that this, the big injury earlier this year and that saw him out for several months because I honestly believe this guy, you know, could, could do it at a, bit, a bigger club because he, um, he's, he's always, always scored goals. And so far this season, he's got nine goals from 21 appearances now. But it's it's goals to ratio, uh, goals to minutes ratio. I love Albert. He's scored every 144 minutes, and if you compare that some to some other strikers in this league, you know, Jordan is scoring every 144 minutes. Simon Banza scoring every 172. Fran Navarro every 166, and Ricardo Horta 
every 162 minutes. He's better than all of those. And actually, he's closest to Evan Nilsson, who's scoring every 137 minutes. So I think that shows the quality of striker we have. And this movement for the first guy, I think, where he just lost... He lost Reggie Cannon and found the smallest of gaps between uh, Cannon and the other defender. Is a, is a prime example of how dangerous a striker is. You know, he's got that instinct. He's he's lethal in the box. He'll he'll always get on the end of something. He's he's always a fighting. And I I love this. I love him as a player, Albert. And I I, I like I mentioned. I think I I can see him doing things at a, a bigger club than Maritimo. I completely agree. I was really really delighted for him. It's a hat trick that takes him to nine goals. For the season. Interesting, Barney, that's equal to what he achieved last year. He scored nine goals last season, but let's not forget that this year he missed the first 10 games of the season through injury. So, you know, he's really done well. We always, you know, it's so easy to forget how difficult it is to be prolific at one of these lower table clubs in the Premier League. It's really hard to put up those types of numbers to get yourself noticed, but He's really proved it. He can be a prolific striker. And yeah, hopefully you say he can do it for a bigger club. I'm hoping that if he gets a good full season under Siabra next year, uh, we'll start to see him do good things with Maritimo. A surprise result for Bo Vistabani. Uh, I don't think either of us saw this coming. I don't think the players saw it coming. I don't think the fans saw it coming, really. Anything particularly you put it down to for me? Obviously, they had the red card, but they were already 3-0 down by this point. It sounds like such an oversimplification, but I think sometimes you just have to put it down to it being one of those days. Perhaps they didn't come into the game in the right mindset. They let the, get, they let the game get away from them too quickly. And before you know it, you find yourself three goals down, four goals down, and there's no way back into the game. One obvious thing is the departure of Gustavo Sauer, right? Uh, he, he was an absolute key player. And, you know, in this 11, they replaced him with um, Vukotic, the, the sort of... Um, I would cast him as a defensive midfielder and sort of let Makuta play slightly forward. So that that didn't work for me. And they were missing Nathan as well out through um, injury. And I think that affects the back line. You know, like I mentioned, Reggie Cannon's playing as a third centre-back, which we know isn't his natural position. And uh, I thought Abascal had a dreadful game. I, I've always disliked him. <laughs> Sorry, I feel like I single him out a lot, but I, I disliked him. They're, they're looking a little short, Albert. You know, it takes a couple of like one departure an injury or two because obviously Hamash wasn't even playing in this game and suddenly they look like a very very weak side um they're not as strong as as defensively as they they had been previously so yeah I think it could be tough for them the the running now but um I think they've they've done enough with their their points to be all right yeah I think so as well I don't think it's a case of them being so good that they'll stay up I think it's more a case of look there there are more or less three teams beneath them who are having worse seasons so not much to worry about they'll get over the line but as we said at the end of last season there's definitely work to be done over the summer for them to gain some kind of consistency next year well look that brings us to the end of this week's discussion and before we go it just gives us time to do what we like to do at the end of every episode and recommend you some games to watch this weekend in the Premier League. And now, Barney, I'll let you go first with your pick for Game of the Week. Do you know what? This is one of the best weekends I've seen all season. That's what we like not, to hear. Not, not so much because of the consequences of what effect could have in the league. Just in terms of every matchup seems almost so even. Friday, Vizela Aruka, very even matchup. Uh, Saturday, Portsmouth's Morens. We've always said how good game that is. Santa Clara Maritima will be a great matchup. Gil Vicente passes the Freire will be a great matchup. It's just so many good games, man. It's, it's hard for me to choose. Well, I tell you what, Barney, I, I will make a choice and 
as I've said so many times, the relegation battle is where it is. And I really do encourage our listeners, if they haven't done so, to try and catch one game uh, from the relegation battle because that's where the drama really is. Now, I've chosen Morarens as my game of the week for the last two weeks in a row. They're playing Portman ends. Uh, on Saturday at 3.30. That game, so much at stake. We spoke at length about Portimonens dropping players in order to try and win that game. We know Morarens with two wins on the bounce. I believe the first time they've won two wins games in a row all season are on good form. That's a massive game of Pereira Liga if you want to watch that. But equally, Friday night, who doesn't like a little bit of Friday night football? That game that Barney just mentioned, Vizela versus Aruka at 8.15. The two newly promoted sides. Vizela, they are not out of this relegation battle at all by any means. They will need a win. And Aruka, one of the teams firmly in that bottom three, they will be desperate and see that as a winnable game. Two fantastic games that you can watch there. Friday at 8.15 and Saturday at 3.30. And then I'll just saw Braga and Porto Monday night and just thinking if Braga can cause an upset ruin oh, the party. <laughs> mate, well, there you go. There's so many games to choose from. And of course, we should also mention that there's Tassel de Portugal action on Wednesday and Thursday night. Wednesday, Mafra versus Tondela and Thursday, Porto versus Sporting in the derby. Well, look, I think that's about all we've got time for this week if you've enjoyed listening to the show you could leave us a little review on apple Podcasts or a star rating on spotify if you want to contact the show you can find us on twitter at longball football we always love getting involved in any conversations you guys want to have with us or send us any messages about the show but that just leaves me to say thank you very much once again for listening and we will see you next week